Scripture says that God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But what is the truth? And how do we gain that knowledge? The answer to these questions and more in today's edition of Faith with Father. Living Bread Radio presents Faith with Father, a program aimed at teaching today's culture the truth about the Catholic faith. And now here's your host, Tim Perry. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Faith with Father. I'm your host, Tim Perry, and with me today in studio is Father Joe Lobbock, pastor of Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish in Wadsworth. Welcome, Father. Thanks, Tim. Good to be here. It's great to have you again. As uh, some of the listeners may know, Father Joe is my pastor at Sacred Heart, and I'm so delighted to have him here with us this week. We're going to continue our discussion on the UCAT. Uh, We're discussing the hierarchy or the structure of the Catholic Church. Today, let's discuss the different roles in the Church. Uh, First, what is the responsibility of the Pope? Well, the Pope is the chief shepherd of the Church. He He is elected by the College of Cardinals under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and, of course, the prayers of people throughout the whole world. When the Cardinals go into the conclave, and when the Pope dies or as we saw recently, resigned. Then the cardinals come together and elect a new pope, and the whole world is praying for uh, them to be guided and open to the Holy Spirit. So out of that conclave comes the election of a new pope, and he is the one who is, like I said, he's the chief shepherd, the vicar of Christ on earth. He represents Christ. It's his responsibility to guide the church, ultimately to Christ and keep keep her one with him to maintain that unity of all the people of God and with Jesus Christ. So when we say the, the Pope is the vicar of Christ, what exactly do we mean? Well, we mean that he a vicar is simply one who is stands in for. He represents, you might say, that he is the vicar of Christ. So he represents Christ here on earth. You know, Christ is the head of the church, but the Pope is the visible head of the church. We can't, unfortunately, see Jesus like we can see each other. So Jesus obviously thought it was important that we have a leader. And he designated the first leader as St. Peter when he gave him the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And so that continues down through the ages. So when Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom, why was that so significant? Well, it's significant because he was giving him authority to teach in his name, to continue what Jesus had started, the mission of Jesus to witness to the love of God, to reveal God to the people and tell the people of his love and mercy. That's what Jesus came in the world to do. And he was only doing that for three years. So he was crucified, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. But he chose his apostles, and the word apostle means one who is sent. So he chose his apostles, and he sends them into the world to continue to teach in his name, to baptize, to govern people, to sanctify them through the means that he himself has given us. So if a first century Jew was listening to Jesus uh, give the keys to Peter, 
Uh, and then it went on to say, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. Those are rabbinic words that were very familiar with the Jewish culture. So they understood exactly what Christ was saying and doing when he said that to Jesus, uh, to Peter first and then to the rest of the apostles. Right. It was a very uh, common thing for someone who was handing over keys. Keys were very symbolic. Of, of, of authority, of one who took care of things, and not just in, uh, in, in Judaism, but I think it was pretty common in the Middle East. This was part of their, of their culture. You so. look today, if you don't have your keys to your car or keys to your house yeah. or your office, you're lost. You're, you're done. Lost, right. So, so it's still today, it's, it's not only symbolic, but it's also literally very very important and very key to understanding uh, the issue of authority. Uh, can the bishops act and teach against the Pope or vice versa? They can't. The bishops cannot teach against the Pope. There's that unity is there. If they teach against the Pope, then they disrupt that unity. So that, that he is the ultimate authority. And uh, as we know, people talk about the infallibility of the Pope. The Pope is infallible when he is teaching in the areas of faith and morals. So that was established only in the 1870s at the First Vatican Council. And it's only been invoked one time, and that's 1950, for the dogma of the Assumption of Mary, that she was assumed into heaven at the end of her life, body and soul. So the Pope doesn't go around, you know, making all kinds of pronouncements and in making infallible statements. And he only does that in union with the bishops. It's not something he does on his own, but he does it after consulting with the bishops and the cardinals, and they all agree on that. Then he puts it forth. But a bishop cannot go against that on his own. He has great authority in his diocese, but not to teach contrary to the truth that is revealed by by Jesus Christ. I think a lot of people confuse what infallibility really means. And, of course, that doesn't mean he can help the uh, Notre Dame football team win more games or no. predict the outcome of the Super Bowl. It's strictly from uh, the chair of Peter. The chair of Peter, yeah. Ex-Cathedra, where he's teaching on faith and morals. Right. Okay. So, so he is infallible, but only... In certain instances, on certain areas, faith and morals. Okay, so what is the task of the bishops? Well, the bishops are the the shepherds of their diocese, their particular territory that they are entrusted with. The Pope appoints the bishops and gives them that authority in that particular area. And their, their uh, responsibilities are to do the same thing, really, that the Pope does, because the Pope is the Bishop of Rome. That's what he is, really. He's the Bishop of Rome, and he exercises that same ministry over the people of the Roman diocese. But because Peter was the Bishop of Rome and the, and the first Pope, the, whoever is the Bishop of Rome is also the Pope by just because of the office that he holds. So a bishop is there to teach and to guide, to... Uh, to maintain the truth of the gospel. You know, if he has priests that are preaching something contrary, then he has to correct them and 
and set them straight so that they can maintain that truth. But he, you know, administers the sacraments, especially of ordination, which only he can do. And confirmation, for the most part, is done by the bishop. It can be delegated to a priest to confirm. But uh, only the bishop ordains men to the priesthood and the diaconate. So you can actually trace your authority as a priest all the way back to, to Jesus and the apostles because of the bishop's right. laying of hands on you. And he had his... He had hands laid on him as well, and so forth, all the way back exactly. for 2,000 right. years. Right, so you could do that if you wanted to research all that. It's it's there. So so some uh, denominations other than the Catholic Church have women that are bishops. How come there's not women bishops in the Catholic Church? Well, mainly because there aren't women priests in the Catholic Church. And why is that? Yeah, well, that's again, goes back to the traditions of the Church and the what Jesus himself did. Everything that we know from the scriptures, from what Jesus revealed to us, he gathered uh, when he ordained at the Last Supper. There is only the recording re recorded is that he was there with his apostles and he made them the first priests. The same thing when he rose from the dead and appeared to his disciples, his apostles, on Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday and gave them the authority to forgive sins. So that was something, this is the sacrament. It's we, as Pope St. John Paul II said, we don't have the authority to change it. No more than we could decide that we're going to baptize babies with, with ginger ale instead of water. We can't change that. Or we're going to have, in the Eucharist, we're going to use pizza and Pepsi instead of bread and wine. It's food, you know, but this is what Jesus designated. This is what he gave us, and he gave us that for a reason. doesn't mean that men are better than women, but they are different. And also the fact that Jesus is a man, and this is he is the Son of God. And, he, and when I say Mass, when I baptize a baby, when I witness a marriage, it's not me. It is Jesus. I stand in the place of Jesus. And I am also a vicar in that sense, because I represent Christ when I'm preaching the word, when I'm celebrating the Eucharist. It is really, I share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's not my priesthood. And so, if you're going to stand in the place of Jesus, who is a man, you should be a man too. And that's one of the, that's another whole area, but that's the, simply put, that's it. Women have a place in the church, a very important place. The mother of God is the greatest of all the disciples of Jesus, all his followers. She followed him most perfectly. And I would suppose if you were going to, if he was going to ordain a woman, he would have designated Mary right off the bat, but he didn't say anything about that. Mm -hmm. So we go with what Jesus has revealed, and we are faithful to that. So the last question for today, Father, why would Jesus want people to live in poverty, unmarried chastity, and obedience? Yeah, and we touched upon that a, a little earlier, but it was the way he lived. Jesus lived that way. He lived as an unmarried, chaste man. 
he lived in poverty. He didn't have any any business to make money. He relied on the generosity of certain people who, who gave him the food and sometimes a place to stay, or he just stayed out in the open. Mm -hmm. And he was obedient to his father. Mm -hmm. Not my will, but your will be done. That's what his life was all about. And we all need to reflect that in our own lives, no matter who we are. We say unmarried chastity, some people, but there's also chastity in marriage, too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people forget that. A husband and wife are called to be chaste in their relationship with each other. They're called to be obedient to God's word. They are called to live poverty in the sense that don't get too involved, too attached to the things of this world because, as Jesus himself said, it's a distraction. Mm -hmm. It's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because that's a big distraction. Sure. Well said, Father. And again, I want to take this time to thank you and all the priests who make that commitment to serve the church and to serve me and my family and my loved ones as a priest in the church. Thank you, Father. You're welcome. You've been listening to Father Joe Lobbock as we go through the UCAT, the Youth Catechism of the Catholic Church. We have hundreds of past Faith with Father shows archived, and we are now podcasting all of the new shows. You can subscribe right on our website, livingbreadradio.com, and go to the programming tab and click on Faith with Father. This has been your host, Tim Perry. Until next time, may God bless you and yours. Bye for now. This has been Faith with Father, a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. For an audio archive of this program, log on to livingbreadradio.com and click on Faith with Father. If you have a question or comment about today's program, email us at askfather at livingbreadradio.com. And join us again next time for another edition of Faith with Father.